You're listening to an audio sermon from Trinity Bible Chapel. For more information, please visit our website at trinitybiblechapel.ca. Exodus 20, verse 1. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin." People stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Please bow with me for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, how we thank you that we can come to your word and receive your commandments. Please teach us at this time. Would your spirit please convert the lost and bring backsliders to restoration? And may your spirit please strengthen your church and even further unify us in the word of God, we pray. Please anoint the hearing and preaching of your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. So I'm in this series on the Ten Commandments, as you know. And we've looked at the first commandment, which is, if the, I've said it before, if the Ten Commandments were a naval fleet, the first commandment would be the flagship. And all the other commandments come within the wake of the first commandment. Well, the first commandment tells us who our God is, and the second commandment tells us how to worship our God. And then the third commandment is telling us how to treat his name specifically. We shouldn't take his name in vain. And because we shouldn't take his name in vain, that means we should hallow his name and desire that his name be hallowed in all the earth. Well, the fourth commandment speaks to our use of time. God is not just Lord over our language and Lord over our worship, but God is Lord over our time. And the fourth commandment speaks to that. 
The fourth commandment is found in Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. I'll read it to you just now as I just read the entirety of the law, but I'll read just the fourth commandment to refresh you. Remember the Sabbath day, verse 8, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That is the fourth commandment. We're going to divide this commandment up into at least three sermons, probably four, but maybe even more. Someone told me this morning after this first service said, well, you say three to four, you're probably going to do five to six and then rest on the seventh. So <laughs> I thought that was funny. But we're, we're aiming for three to four here this morning or this over the next few weeks. But I'll divide it up accordingly. I'm going to talk about the first bit, and this is today and maybe next week perhaps, but today for sure is, yes, the Sabbath is for today. Okay? Is, this, is the fourth commandment apply today? Yes. That's what I'm trying to get to this morning during this church service. And then what I'm going to talk about is why in the Old Testament, under Old Testament law, the Sabbath was celebrated on the seventh day. And then in New Testament times, we have it on the first day of the week. That will be another sermon that is yet to come, and we'll look at that. And then I'm going to spend the final sermon on the fourth commandment talking about how it applies. How does the fourth commandment apply? And so the first few sermons, especially today, are going to be teaching sermons. And then we're going to get to the end of this teaching on the fourth commandment in a few weeks, God willing, and we'll talk about the application of the fourth commandment pretty well for a whole sermon, I think. I want you to remember, as I've said many times through this series, that the law of God is searching. If, if hounds search for raccoons and little foxes to corner them, well, the law of God searches for sin in your heart to corner it. And so as this series is preached, you're going to feel conviction, and you likely already have. And that conviction for sin is going to feel like guilt. It's going to bring shame. And instead of staying there in the guilt and staying there in the shame, I want you to run to Jesus Christ. So you don't leave the church service and the sermon feeling, you know, how guilty you are, but you want to leave being so grateful that you have a Christ who took your guilt. He bore your guilt. You leave rejoicing in gratitude for a salvation that you, a sinner, do not deserve from your great Savior, that Christ on the cross bore all of your iniquities. He's the atonement, the substitute for your sin. And so is the law of God searches your heart and, and touches on the sore spots and brings guilt and shame. Don't, wait, don't even wait till the end of the sermon. Go right to Christ then. Go right to Christ. And, and beyond that, what I want you to do with the law of God is I want it to become a teaching tool for you. This isn't just teaching you that you're a sinner that needs to run to Jesus. This is teaching you how to live. So come to learn and come to order your life correctly, the patterns of your life. Come to order them correctly so that you hopefully come out of this series on the Ten Commandments a stronger Christian who understands much better 
how to walk with God and bring honor to him in this dark world and wicked generation. Today, my main point, I'm going to have five sub-points, but my main point is this. The Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment, is not specific to Israel, but it's for all, you and me included. That's my main point. And then I'm going to have five sub-points. But my main point is that the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment, is not just for Israel, but it's for all, us included. And I'll list to you my five sub-points. And then I'll get into the first one quickly, though. The five sub-points as to why the Sabbath is not specific to Israel, but is for all of us in general. Number one, the Ten Commandments is a unit of natural law, is the unit of natural law, and the fourth is among that unit. Number two, the Sabbath was instituted before Judaism, and therefore it will last after Judaism. Number three, the Sabbath is for all men, not just for Jews. Number four, gathered worship necessitates a time for worship. So the necessity of gathered worship necessitates a time for gathered worship. And number five, and I think this you'll find this very interesting, as it certainly was to me as I've reflected upon it. Number five, the loss of Sabbath leads to the loss of other creation ordinances and distinctions. But let's look at number one. Number one, the Sabbath is for day, today because the Ten Commandments are a unit of natural law and the Fourth Commandment is within the unit. Now, this point was developed during my first two sermons in the series where I tried to lay the footing for the teaching on the Ten Commandments. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. There's dozens probably of Bible verses I could go to. I'm only going to visit three. Yes, no, two I'm only going to visit. And in visiting those two Bible verses, I'm going to summarize some of the teachings from my first sermon and second sermon. You can review your notes or revisit the sermons on, online if you'd like. But the Sabbath commandment is within the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments are God's natural law. And is God's natural law, they come to us not as one by one by one, but they come to us as a unit. They are together. Natural law is that law which is embedded within nature itself. It is the constitution of creation. Natural law is the Ten Commandments are. The Ten Commandments are natural law. Natural law is to be distinguished from positive law. On one hand, you have natural law, the Ten Commandments. On the other hand, you have positive law. Positive laws are laws that God creates to govern the covenants. So, for example... Within the covenant with Abraham, there was the positive law of circumcision that was temporary for the descendants of Abraham till the time of Christ, the male child's children that came from Abraham to the time of Christ. That was a positive law. Within our new covenant context, we have the positive law of baptism, as we just saw. That wasn't in the old covenant. It's temporary. The Lord's Supper. Within the covenant with Israel, we have the positive law of the sacrificial system, the Passover, the day of Pentecost, and many other feasts and celebrations. That's positive law. They come and they go. They are to be distinguished from natural law. Natural law is that which forms the very constitution of nature, and the Ten Commandments are natural law. They are the natural law. 
Fourth commandment is within the Ten Commandments, and therefore the Fourth Commandment is natural law. The Ten Commandments come to us today, they are for today, as a unit of natural law. They come to us as a unit. I'll show you this from the book of James. We've looked at this passage, but I just want to refresh your memory quickly in this first point. But they come to us in, as a unit, so that breaking one of the ten is breaking the ten. James chapter 2, verse 10 says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all. And we know that he's speaking of the Ten Commandments because in the very next verse, James quotes the Seventh and the Sixth Commandment by saying, For he who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Breaking one of those laws is a violation of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a unit. And so breaking one of the Ten Commandments, as James says here, is a breaking of all because it is a unit of law. It does not come to us as individual laws, although there are individual laws within the unit. It comes to us as a unit, and breaking those individual laws is a violation of the unit. The Ten Commandments, as Romans chapter 7, verse 7 teaches us, is the measure of righteousness. It tells us what sin is. Romans 7, verse 7 says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what sin is or what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. And so Paul lists there the Tenth Commandment of the Ten Commandments and tells us that we know what sin is because the Ten Commandments tell us what sin is. The law tells us what sin is. Using the word law and Ten Commandments interchangeably in that context and we know he's using it interchangeably because he quotes from the 10th commandment to tell us, um, to list an example. He wouldn't know what coveting was if it wasn't for the 10th commandment. So, the Sabbath is for today, as my first point goes, because the 10 commandments are a unit of natural law, and the 4th commandment is one of those 10 commandments. You violate the 4th commandment, you violate the 10 commandments, and the 10 commandments come to us as the very constitution of nature, a unit of natural law. The 10 commandments are a unit. Breaking that unit is sin. Breaking the 4th commandment is sin, and breaking the 4th commandment is breaking the unit of the 10 commandments. My first point is that the Sabbath is for today, because the Ten Commandments are a unit of natural law. That's my first point. My second point, moving on. My second point. The Sabbath is for today because it was instituted before Judaism. And I made this point prior also, but I'm going to develop it more. I made this point in general about the Ten Commandments before. I'm going to make it specifically today about the Fourth Commandment. I made this point prior in the first sermon, arguing that all Ten Commandments were instituted in Eden prior to Sinai and the giving of the Law of Moses. I'm focusing even more today specifically to demonstrate that the Fourth Commandment was instituted at creation and prior to Sinai. So Sinai, the Red Sea leads to Sinai. Sinai is the giving of the Law, the Ten Commandments, and that's in Exodus 20. Everything that happens before Exodus 20 is chronologically before Exodus 20. And everything that happens before Exodus 20 and, and quite often and, and quite really before the Exodus happens before the creation of Israel as a nation. 
And so what I'm trying to say is if the Ten Commandments were given before Israel was created as a nation, it was expected of people, okay, they were upheld before Israel was, a, was created as a nation, then Ten Commandments, and specifically in this instance, the Fourth Commandment will outlive the nation of Israel. So as, as the covenant people are now Jew and Gentile together in Christ, even so, despite the fact that the nation of Israel is, is no longer such under the new covenant time as that distinct grouping, but is now you have Jew and Gentile coming together under the Lord Jesus Christ, the Sabbath outlasts the nation of Israel. If, as R.L. Dabney said, and he made the point that I just made, he, he said it really well, he said, if the Sabbath was instituted long before, it did not come with Judaism, and it does not go with it. So I want to show you from everything leading up to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, which happens chronologically before it, historically before it, I want to show you that there was a concept of weeks and there was a concept of Sabbath before Exodus 20. And as R.L. Dabney said, if the Sabbath was instituted long before, it did not come with Judaism and does not go with it. So let's look at a structured seven-day week prior to the giving of the Ten Commandments, which occurs again and again. You cannot have weeks unless you have something to set those weeks apart. So if you don't have a Sabbath day, if you don't have a marker, like a weekend, like, like we call it, if you don't have a marker, you don't have weeks. If you, if you don't have a marker, you get a 365-day week. Or if you live 80 years, you get an 80-year week. But with the Sabbath being instituted there in Genesis chapter 2, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, it marks the end of a week, and then it marks the beginning of a new week. And so this is the marker of a week, and you have this seven-day structure. After the French Revolution, they wanted to do away with all remnants of Christianity, and so what they wanted was a 10-day work week. So they said, we're going to reinvent the world after our own image, and we're going to be more productive and we're going to have a 10-day work week. Well, it didn't work because we are created to have the six-day work week with the one-day rest. That's how we're designed. And we see that in Genesis chapter 7, for example. During the flood, we have seven-day weeks. Chapter 7, verse 10 of Genesis, after the seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. So Noah and God are counting these work weeks, and he's counting these weeks. Or Genesis chapter 8, Noah observes a seven-day structure as he exits the ark. Genesis 8, verse 10 through 11 says, and he waited another seven days, and again he sent from the, for the dove out of the ark, and the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth, and in verse 12, and he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. So you have this seven-day week structure that comes after the six days of creation and the Sabbath rest after the creation in Genesis 2. Six days in Genesis 1, seventh day in chapter 2. And this repeats itself throughout the book of Genesis. So as you're reading these seven-day structures within the book of Genesis, you're reading them in light, which is already, in light of what's already come, which is a six-day week followed by a seven-day Sabbath, so you have a seven-day week. And this is what you're seeing. And how do you distinguish week from week? Well, you distinguish week from week the same way we do. You have a weekend. 
okay? And having a weekend, we're able to distinguish week from week. If you don't have a weekend, what do you have? You got a 365-day week. Now, it goes on in Genesis chapter 29, and we see there was a week-long wedding celebration. So yes, there were wedding celebrations, and in this case, it was a week-long one. In Genesis 29, verse 27, complete the week of this one, Laban says to Jacob after he married Leah, complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. So you have the week there that's coming out. And then in Genesis chapter 50, verse 10, you have a week of mourning. After Jacob died, his children mourned for him for an entire week. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 10, where it says, when they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. So, Genesis starts with six days of creation followed by a Sabbath, and you see this seven-day week repeat itself in Genesis over and over again. Six days in Genesis 1, seventh day of Sabbath in the first few verses of Genesis 2, and then it repeats itself in reference to a seven-day week or a seven-day pattern throughout Genesis. What marks a week is this break in days, this distinction of days. And without the Sabbath day, you just end up with a 365-day week. But I think there's way more to it than that, because before the law was given in Genesis chapter 20, before Sinai, without Moses telling them, the people prepared for a seventh-day Sabbath in Exodus chapter 16. So Exodus 16, verse 22 to 23, this is before the giving of the law at Sinai, but yet the people were still trying to uphold the Sabbath, even before it was given at Sinai. So Exodus 16, verse 22 says, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil and all that is left over aside to be kept till the morning. So they're preparing. The day before the Sabbath was the day of preparation for the Sabbath. They were preparing for it. And then Moses responds to the Sabbath violators. Again, before Sinai in Exodus chapter 16, before the giving of the law, which was in Exodus 20, he responds to the Sabbath violators by indicating that their violations of the Sabbath have been long-standing. This isn't a new thing. So in Exodus 16, they violated Sabbath before the law was given in Exodus 20. And Moses indicates that the violations of the Sabbath have been long-standing in Exodus 16, verse 27 through 29. On the seventh day, some of the people, verse 27, went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See that question? What's that indicating? How long? It's indicating that this has gone on. And it, it's almost, a, there's a hint of exasperation in the text. Here's God being gracious to them, having led them out of Egypt. And now he's asking them, how long are you going to keep violating my Sabbaths. It goes on in verse 28, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. As Matthew Henry said of that text, he said, 
It is spoken of not as a new institution, but as an old law. So as the Sabbath law comes out, and you see it especially start to surface there in Exodus 16, you see this is not a new thing. This is an old thing. And they are longtime violators of the Sabbath. And yet there's some who understand enough that they're gathering enough food for the Sabbath day on the day of preparation before the Sabbath. But even then, as I show you that the Sabbath is for today because it was instituted before Judaism, we need to look at the commandment itself. The commandment itself indicates that it was instituted before Judaism. So Exodus 20, verse 8, as we look at this fourth commandment, look at what it says, how we're introduced to it. What does it say in Exodus 20, verse 8? Remember the Sabbath. The Sabbath is remembered because it is of old. You don't remember things that are new. You are remembering things that are of old. And how do I know? Like he, you know, some of you will say, well, he's saying, remember it in the future. That's what you're probably saying. Remember it in the future. That's maybe what he means there. No, he's referring to the past. Remember what happened in the past. Remember the Sabbath day. How do I know he's referring to the past? Because he says so in verse 11. For in six days God made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. When did he bless the Sabbath day? Then, at creation, he blessed it. And so here we're being called to remember what happened then, bring your minds back to it, and start remembering the Sabbath day and upholding it. As J.I. Packer said, he said, was there a Sabbath observance before Sinai, the giving of the Ten Commandments? He answers himself, the word remember, introducing the command, suggests that there was. In the Old Testament, we have ceremonial laws like the Passover, which are all grounded in historical events that pertain to the nation of Israel. Day of Pentecost, year of Jubilee. These types of things come up within the history of the nation of Israel. But the fourth commandment, as it's given originally in Exodus 20, is not grounded in the history of Israel. It's grounded in the history of the world so that it doesn't just apply to Israel, it applies to the world. It existed before Judaism. And because it existed before Judaism, it is to exist long after Judaism. And this reading is grounded in creation because the Sabbath came with the creation of the world, not the creation of Israel. The Sabbath came with the creation of the world, not with the creation of Israel. The Sabbath was instituted before Judaism, and therefore it outlasts Judaism. There is my second point. The Sabbath is for today. Why? Point one, the Ten Commandments are a unit of natural law. The Sabbath is for today. Why? Point two, because it was instituted before Judaism. Here's point three. The Sabbath is for today because Scripture explicitly teaches it is for all men, not just for Jews. The Bible teaches this. And you say, where? Well, Jesus taught this. In Mark chapter 2, verse 27, 
Jesus is involved in a Sabbath controversy in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. The Pharisees are dealing with him, and Jesus responds to them and says, the Sabbath was made for man, but not man for the Sabbath. You notice what he says there? He doesn't say the Sabbath was made for Jews. What does he say? The Sabbath was not made for Jews specifically. It was made for man in general. And as you listen to that statement by Jesus, as I just read it, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. What's Jesus referring to? The word made. The verb made is coming up twice in this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man made for the Sabbath. It's implied in the second half. It's referring to creation. So Jesus, in referencing the Sabbath, what's he doing? He's drawing us back to the time of creation when the Sabbath was instituted after the creation of man for man. Man was created on the sixth day before the creation of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created on the seventh day after the creation of man. Therefore, man is not created for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is created for man. What's Jesus telling us? Jesus is telling us that the Scripture explicitly teaches that the Sabbath is for all men, not just for the Jews. And by the way, when Jesus says this, this is completely consistent with what the law of God says. Because in Exodus chapter 20, verse 10, where I am today, I'm spending most of my time, the Sabbath law, the fourth commandment, go back to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 10. We are told that the Sabbath applies to everybody, not just Jews. So if you look at verse 10, it says, But on the seventh day, the Sabbath, the Lord your God, on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. That's, in other words, these are non-Jews within Israel, resident aliens, Okay? Immigrants, refugees, people that have come from other countries who are not necessarily have the Jewish religion. The Sabbath is not just given for Israel. The Sabbath is given for the sojourners within Israel. And, and so some people come to the Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment, they say, well, that's just ceremonial law. We, we do away with it because it was a temporary positive law. It's not natural law. But no, you, you can't do that because it was given for everyone, unlike the ceremonial law in Israel, which was just given for the Jews. So, the Sabbath is given for everyone, even the sojourner within your gates, but the food laws were just given for the Jews. So, for example, Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 21, tells us, you shall not eat anything that has died naturally. You may give it to the sojourner who is within your gate, your towns. So what's that telling us? The Jews can't eat ceremonial unclean food, but the sojourners can. Why? Because the food laws are ceremonial laws. But the Sabbath applies for Jew and sojourner alike. Or even beyond that, Nehemiah chapter 13 tells us that the sojourners, the the foreigners were not allowed to participate in Jewish worship. That was for Jews. The worship ceremonies was for Jews only. 
But yet, the Sabbath law was for everyone, according to Exodus 20. But look at Nehemiah 13, verse 1 through 3. On that day, they read from the book of Moses, so they read the law in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever enter the assembly of God. For they did not meet the people of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. Yet our God turned the curse into a blessing. Listen to this. As soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. So telling us that there was a separation between Israel and non-Israel. And that separation applied to the ceremonial laws associated with worship. Now, in New Covenant times, that's changed. But there was not a separation between Israel and non-Israel in the application of the fourth commandment. It was for Jew and sojourner alike. There was a separation with the food laws. The sojourners could eat the unclean food. There's a separation with the worship laws. The sojourners were not allowed to be part of the worship. But there was not a separation on the Sabbath law. They had to honor the Sabbath law. They had to honor it. They couldn't worship because they didn't believe in God. They had to honor the Sabbath law. So this is completely consistent, or sorry, Scripture explicitly teaches that the Sabbath law was for all men, not just for Jews. This is my third point. The Sabbath law is for all men, not just for Jews. Foreigners had to honor the Sabbath, even though they didn't have to participate in the food laws. Jesus said, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was made for man. That's an important point. Stating a truth for all of us, you and me alike, it was made for. And by the way, just as a little throwaway side note, under the old covenant, Israel, under the Hebrew theocracy, Sabbath violations could be capital offenses, but not participating in the ceremonial celebrations was not a capital offense, but Sabbath violations were, which shows us how important it is viewed by God. So, why is Sabbath law for today, or sorry, why is the fourth commandment for today and not just for Israel? Well, I've given you three reasons now. One, the Ten Commandments are a unit of natural law, and the fourth commandment is one of the unit. Two, the Sabbath is for today because it was instituted before Judaism. Three, the Sabbath is for today because scriptural, Scripture explicitly teaches us it is for men, all men, not just for Jews. And here's my fourth point. The Sabbath is for today because the necessity of gathered worship necessitates a time of gathered worship. The necessity of gathered worship necessitates a time of gathered worship. God commands public worship. We've, we've really spent a lot of time emphasizing that over these last few years, rightly, because it became a flashpoint. And the church is, the Greek word for church, the New Testament word for church is ekklesia, which means the gathering. Where there is no church, there's no gathering. Where there's no gathering, there's no church. Hebrews 10.25, as you know, tells us not to forsake the assembly. So in order for us to gather, it requires a set time. It's not enough for a group to gather on Wednesday night and a group to gather on Friday morning and a group to gather on Saturday because that's not the gathering of the church. You need an appointed time for the gathered church. So, in order for us to have true Christianity, you need a gathering, 
And in order for us to have a gathering, you need an appointed time. So, in order for us to have true Christianity, you need an appointed time. You can't have true Christianity without the appointed time, without a time set apart for the gathering. In fact, Thomas Peck said, without the public worship of God, there can be no religion. None. The gathering requires a set time. Families gather together for the public worship of God, not at different times. That wouldn't be a gathering. That would be a scattering. We're not called to scatter for worship. The church is not the scattering. The church is the gathering. And a gathering necessitates a specific time for worship. And God has provided the day of worship. For Old Testament Israel, it was the seventh day. And for us in the church age, it is the first day. We will discuss the distinction between those days and why that happened in a future sermon, God willing. But this sermon is just to tell you that the fourth commandment's for today. We require a gathering in order to have true Christianity, and in order to have a gathering, we require a time. In order to have true Christianity, we require a time. And God's given us the day. And by the way, church vi churches violated this, didn't they? When Christmas fell on a Sunday, there was a lot of churches that closed shop on that Sunday because they assumed that they could maintain the commandment to gather, well, we'll gather at another time. We'll gather in a future week. We don't need to gather every week. We can gather every two weeks, or we can gather twice a month. We can gather every other month if we choose to. As long as we have the intention of gathering one day again, we'll uphold the gathering. No. So you take that to its extreme. Well, what, maybe 10 years we'll gather again. Okay, we close down shop on Christmas because people want to eat cheap candy and drink coffee and exchange presents. Oh, maybe you want to eat good candy. And it, but, but, but it's still worth giving up the worship of Christ, isn't it? Not really. Not at all. But, but okay, so, I mean, that's a big, important event. It's a cultural event. It's Christmas. It makes sense. But maybe we'll do the Super Bowl, too. And let's not stop at the Super Bowl. Everyone loves to have a brunch on Mother's Day. So no Mother's Day gatherings either, because it's very important that families are together, don't you know? And if we're going to do Mother's, equal opportunity for the fathers, so we'll do Father's Day too. Where do you, where do you take this? Where, where does it end? Maybe it's just every other week, 26 weeks of the year, not 52 weeks of the year, where we have a day of gathering and worship. Where does it end? And of course, this was taken to its extreme during the lockdowns. Yes, a gathering, but maybe every few months. As long as we have the intention of gathering two months from now, when the premier says it's okay, then we gather. But we have the intention of gathering. No. God has told us one day in seven. And frankly, despite our bold stance as a church, there were times when we did not gather, especially early on, and that was wrong of us. That was wrong of us. We didn't know. It took us a while to think this through. It took us a while to get on the same page, but that was wrong of us. Frankly, we need a time for gathering in order for there to be true Christianity. Because true Christianity requires a gathering, and a gathering requires a time. 
And God's given us the time. You know, as you look into the future and you think there's potentially future lockdowns coming, I don't think the COVID lockdowns are coming back. Maybe we'll have climate change lockdowns. But I'm not in, and you laugh, but they talk this way. These people talk this way, they're crazy. They're crazy. They, they want to control every aspect of your life. So we're going to have 15-minute cities and climate change lockdowns, maybe. And if you really love your neighbor, you will not drive on Sunday because if you drive on Sunday, you're going to bring about the imminent universal flood and destruction of mankind. Don't you know? So stay home from worship and love your neighbor just like you did during COVID times. Right? Like, how are you going to get to church if you're going to get a fine for being out on a Sunday? You better start thinking through that now. Maybe you're going to have to buy a horse and buggy like our Mennonite neighbors. I don't know. Maybe you'll have to sleep over up here at the church on Saturday night. Okay? Maybe you're going to have to get a bicycle. But we're going to have to gather, and it's going to have to be on the Lord's Day. What are you going to do when there's an alien invasion? And you laugh, but I mean, this stuff's coming up in the news, and this is a really great opportunity for people to hook a bunch of right-wingers into government control because it's a great idea. Hey, of course, this is a government conspiracy that's been covered up for years, and now we know there's aliens, and it's an imminent threat, and we better stay home because aliens are in the streets. There's always a good reason not to gather. Even during World War II, Martin Lloyd-Jones has... His church in London, England, during the air raids, they gathered, but they just didn't turn the lights on because they didn't want the German planes to see them worshiping. But they still gathered as the bombs dropped on London. And we ought to gather for the worship of God. We have to gather. And the necessity of gathering necessitates an appointed time. If we do not have an appointed time, we do not have a gathering. And if we do not have a gathering, we do not have Christianity. The necessity of gathered worship necessitates a time for gathered worship. That's my fourth point. The Sabbath is for today. Why? Point one, because the Ten Commandments are a unit of natural law. The Sabbath is for today. Why? Point two, because it was instituted before Judaism, so it will outlast Judaism. Point three, the Sabbath is for today because Scripture explicitly teaches it for all men, not just for Jews. Four, the Sabbath is for today because the necessity of gathered worship necessitates a time for gathered worship. Here's my final point. Point five, the Sabbath is for today because the loss of a Sabbath ordinance or a Sabbath distinction invites the loss of other creation ordinances and distinctions. I'll explain what this means. There's a lot of words there, but I'll explain. Sabbath is ordained in creation, Genesis 1 through 2. Six days in Genesis 1, seventh day in Genesis 2 is a Sabbath. God declares it's a Sabbath. It's holy. It's set apart. It's a day of rest. That's ordained in creation. And so what that does is, first of all, it creates the ordination of the seventh day is the Sabbath rest. And not only does it create the day of Sabbath rest, but it creates a distinction between days and weeks, or days in the weeks, rather, and days and weeks. So all of a sudden, you have six days that are distinct from one day, and one day that's distinct from six days, and you have weeks that are distinct from weeks. So the 
the idea of a Sabbath, not only is it an institution that's grounded in creation, but it creates a creational distinction. And there's lots of other creational distinctions. And there's a number of other things that are ordained in creation. But in creation, you have the distinction between man and woman. In creation, you have the distinction between married couples and people who are, they're not married to. In creation, you have the distinction between man and beast. In creation, you have the distinction between man and God. These are all distinctions. And then in creation, you have the distinction between days and days and weeks and weeks. You have one day that's holy and six days that are just normal for work. And so there's distinctions. And what I'm trying to tell you is that if you remove the Sabbath, you, remove the, you can now remove the other things that are ordained in creation and the other distinctions that are embedded within creation. It's not a slippery slope argument. It's I apply the logic on the Sabbath, I apply it here, and then I apply it there, and then I apply it there. And if I don't need the Sabbath, if I don't need the Sabbath distinction, then I don't need this distinction, then I don't need this distinction. And if I don't need the Sabbath ordained as a, as a creational institution, then I don't need this creational institution or this creational institution. What are the other creational institutions? I mentioned the distinctions. What are the other creational institutions? Well, at least marriage is it, and the family. Listen to what Thomas Peck said, the Civil War era Southern Presbyterian minister. He said, but in what nation has public morality survived the degradation of the Sabbath? We have alluded to the connection between the Sabbath and the institution of marriage is the common and only survivors of the fall. And the experience of the world demonstrates that when the first falls into contempt, the last which is the great bulwark of morality and social order will share in its disgrace. What's he saying? If you lose the creation ordinance of Sabbath, if it falls into contempt, marriage will fall into contempt. And he said that 150 years ago. Do you think he was onto something then? Do you think he was onto something? He feared that the loss of the Sabbath would lead to the loss of marriage because both are rooted in creation as ordinances and distinctions. Matthew Henry saw the same loss of distinctions that would occur if we lost the Sabbath. He saw it several hundred years before Thomas Peck saw it. So Matthew Henry said, the Puritan said, take away the conscience of Sabbath sanctification and you open a gap at which all religion runs out and an inundation of wickedness breaks in, of course. They that make no difference between God's day and other days will not long make any difference between God's name and other names and between God's book and other books. Thomas Peck saw the necessity of upholding the Sabbath as a creation institution so that the other creation institution of marriage would be upheld. And he saw that if the creation institution of Sabbath fell, the creation institution of marriage would fall. Matthew Henry saw that the Sabbath helps teach us to distinguish one thing from another. And he thought that if we lost the distinction between the Sabbath day and the other six days, we'd, leave, we'd lose to other distinctions. And Henry was right. Lose the Sabbath ordinance and you lose creation distinctions. Lose the Sabbath distinction and you lose the other ordinances. You lose one ordinance, you lose the other ordinances, you lose one distinction and you lose the other distinction. It's not a slippery slope argument. It's you take the logic here and you apply it there. I take the logic here and I apply it there. You do it to one way, you do it the other way. And then the dominoes start to fall. 
Before the creation ordinance of marriage was held in contempt by our country and our nation and our culture, the Sabbath was held in contempt. Before the creation distinction between man and woman was lost, whether it's by the feminist movement or the transgender movement, before the creation distinction between man and woman was lost, the distinction between Lord's Day and other days were lost, if not in law, in the hearts of the people. Before the creational distinction between man and beast was lost, and yes, the creational distinction between man and beast has been lost. Say how? Because we murder men like they're animals. You know, if you have a horse and you don't want, and the horse gets pregnant and you don't want the horse to have the baby, you, you, you pinch the, the, the fetus that's in the womb of the horse. If it's a prized horse and you don't want that horse to bear a child, to bear the, the little... Um, the little colt, you, you put, pinch the, the little baby horse in the horse's womb. We'll, we've lost the distinction between men and animals. If you don't want to have a, the child that you're carrying, then what do you do? You go to the doctor and they pinch it. And they treat you like you're an animal. And the child's an animal. And you know what you do? If you have a dog, you have dogs. Your dog gets sick, your dog gets old, what do you do? Your dog's no longer functioning properly, you take it to the vet and the vet puts the dog down. 21st century Canada, we're so enlightened and progressive that what do we do? If somebody gets old, somebody gets sick, well, it's now their moral obligation to go to the doctor, and the doctor puts them down so they're not a burden on the healthcare system. We've lost the distinction between man and beast. We've lost the distinction between man and beast. Before we lost the distinction between man and beast, we lost the creational distinction between God's day and the other days, the Sabbath day and the other days. Before the creation ordinance of marriage was held in contempt, the Sabbath was held in contempt. Before the creational distinction between men and women was lost, the creational distinction between Lord's Day and other days was lost. Before the creational distinction between man and beast was lost, the creational distinction between the Sabbath and the other days was lost. If all those ordinances are creational and if all those ordinances create distinctions, then if you remove one ordinance, you lose the other ordinances eventually. If you remove one distinction, you lose the other distinctions eventually. If you can justify the removal of one ordinance, you can justify the removal of the other ordinances. If you can justify the removal of one distinction, you can justify the removal of the other distinction. And you say, this is far-fetched. Look, these guys saw this 150 years ago. Matthew Henry saw it 500 years ago. I mean, I'm sure when Thomas Peck wrote these things, that you're taking this too far. You know what? He didn't take it far enough because he saw that the removal of the creation ordinance of Sabbath would, would cause marriage to fall in contempt, but what he didn't see is that eventually you'd even lose the distinction between boy and girl. Thomas Peck said further, if you give the fourth commandment, or give up the fourth commandment, all personal and public morality will be prostrate. Our countrymen will become brute beasts fit only to be taken and destroyed, living in diverse, hurtful lusts and pleasure, hateful and hating one another. He saw it coming. He saw it coming. May God have mercy on us. And may we count the Sabbath day as a holy day. And may we take delight in the Christ of the Sabbath. Let's pray together. 
Father in heaven, forgive us for our Sabbath violations, and we pray, dear Lord, that you would teach us to follow your law and obey you and find the wisdom that is there within it. May we delight in you, and may the Sabbath day become a delight for us. In Christ's name, amen.